So Patty, I really loved our conversation with Dustin, uh, yes. Magaziner. So interesting about um, equipment costs, hardware, deployment of capital. Um, then I went right into an experience I had with buy now, pay later, which might surprise right. people. Um, and uh, so we talk about that and just kind of my my experience there. And then tell us about yours. I thought it was very interesting in the insiders today. Yeah, talk again about BMPL as well as other digital payments and sort of like the generational differences. Yeah. Um, and I think that people will find this very interesting. And let's, let's remember, my generation is getting older and your generation is becoming the mainstream. So I think um, these findings are interesting. Yeah. So, no. uh, of course, uh, our episode today is brought to you by NMI.com. Uh, definitely head over there. If you haven't already, get a demo of NMI, but this is sponsored by NMI.com. Let's jump into our interview with Dustin Magaziner. Let's do it. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. We're here today with my good friend, Dustin Magaziner, who is a partner at Paybright. How are you doing today, Dustin? I'm good. Thanks for having me here. I'm having a great Wednesday morning here so far. It's always it great having you back. Thank you very much. Well, so uh, one of my favorite topics, which I know also is one of Dustin's favorite topics, uh, today we're talking about kind of this main theme of no deal left behind. So talking about um, agents, a lot of times are, you know, they get a deal that the person's interested, the merchant's interested, they end up losing the deal uh, where they shouldn't. Today, we're going to focus on um, free equipment. And we're going to focus on how does that fit into this whole narrative of kind of not losing deals. Um, and so I was kind of hoping, Dustin, since you've been on before, we already have the backstory. Can you kind of zoom out and just talk about this concept of no deal left behind, um, you know, and, and why this concept of, you know, helping agents get every deal that's profitable, that makes sense. Why is that such a big part of your mission at Paybright? Yeah. So the, the idea of no deal left behind is literally what our entire program is, is based upon. Um, we believe here at Paybright that most agents are losing a, a, a pretty high percentage of the deals or opportunities they come across. But the key word is unnecessarily. Um, there are ways they could be winning those deals that either their current process or their current ISO, their current programs don't afford them. And of course, free equipment is just one of those ways. I don't want to go through a whole Paybright spiel here about what we do and how we do it. Um, but to me, if we can help our sales partners go from two deals a month to four or five deals a month to 10 without telling them to work harder, work more hours, hit more doors, mm -hmm. then doing something right. Right. And that's what our program is, is you know, built upon. How do we help that sales partner build their business without telling them to, you know, double their 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 hours per per se? Yeah, yeah, I love it. Okay, so I love that idea. And so we talked about micro merchants in a previous interview and, and the merchant sales insight and everything. And so today I wanted to focus on um, free equipment. And and I'm very passionate about this. Patty knows I talk about it all the time. Uh, capital deployment, uh, opportunity costs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I mean, you know, when I was selling payment processing, you know, starting the business 13 years ago, um, there were some companies doing free equipment, but certainly not at any kind of significant level, certainly not like what Paybright does today. Um, and most were not doing it at all. And, you know, we fast forward to today. Why do you think this has become so popular with both merchants and agents? I mean, there's some obvious reasons of the free, but like, what are the trends that you're seeing that are that are really kind of driving this forward? Yeah, so I, I think that, industries evolve. And 10, 15 years ago, leasing was the standard. And if you weren't leasing, you were in the minority. Nowadays, that's kind of gone away. There, there's still some companies doing it, but it's it's really on the outs. 
Um, and then it kind of switched to, you can sell equipment and make a little bit of money on the sale. And then it went to, you could sell it at wholesale. And I, I think those days are, are more or less behind us. Merchant services has been sold to merchants for a while now. And merchants, if they want to switch, they, they want there to be a reason and they don't want to pay for it. So first, right off the top, it, it opens up opportunities and conversations. That's why we do it. It opens up opportunities for our agents. If you go in and say, hey, the machine's going to be two, three, four hundred dollars $400, that switch turns off for a lot of business. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's a challenge that we don't want to create that hurdle. We, we want to avoid it before it ever happens. So for us, it opens up opportunities. It opens up you know, business that you, you wouldn't otherwise even have a chance to get. Um, so for us, it's about opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Well, tell me though, I mean, you know, James talked about free terminals, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And in those days, it was pretty simple, right? It was just, you know, a little countertop terminal. But, you know, now as the market shifts towards smart terminals and, and POS systems, and of course, you know, we have now also the concept of uh, passing on the cost of processing, right? Yep. You know, how do you see the concept of free hardware now, you know, evolving in this new market? I think it's even more important because the days of a hundred dollar terminal are behind us. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit easier to sell a merchant on paying for their own equipment when you were selling a Pax S80 that you were buying refurb maybe for 80 or 90 dollars. Right. But the days of of cheap equipment for good or for bad is is kind of in the back, the background. Right. Now. Right. Most terminals have a higher cost point than they used to. And so selling it becomes a challenge. And I, I can give you a few examples. If you walk into a merchant that signed up with their bank six months ago and they maybe purchased a terminal from their bank and they paid five, six hundred dollars for that Clover Flex, let's just say. Right. Paid for it. They they're not interested if you tell them they have to do it again. Mm-hmm. Sure. The opportunity. But I'll tell you what they're really interested in. If you can replace that or give them something very comparable at no cost up front, there's no risk to them. There's only upside. And of course. We want to stand behind our product and have them long-term. It, it tells them we believe in what we're doing, right? That's how we want to at least sell it and present it because it's mm-hmm. true. We believe in our offering so much. You don't need to pay to do business with us. We're going to take that on on our end. So I believe personally that the increase of smart terminals and POS systems only makes free equipment more important, not less important. I actually think it's going to become something more processors are going to have to evolve to do in the next you know, year and a half to two years to stay relevant. Yeah. Yeah. So is there any criteria is there, you know, established criteria for offering free terminals and um, you know, what kind of terminals are we talking about? Yeah. So here at Paybrite, we, we like to make it as flexible as possible. So we don't put a lot of restrictions, really any restrictions on offering free equipment for our sales partners. Again, I believe that restrictions and limitations hurt sales process and flow. And so we want to allow our partners to market and get out there. When you start putting all these asterisks, we've all seen this, right? You get some sort of promotional product, and then there's this huge disclaimer at the bottom right. about all the things that are excluded and prohibited and so on and so forth. We, we don't want to do that here. So for us, free equipment is, is free equipment for everyone, every agent, every merchant. And that's both, you know, for, from a sales perspective and a support perspective, mm-hmm. I have partners all the time ask me, well, what if I want to sell the merchant a terminal? And the answer is like, you can, but when they call into our customer service line and they say their terminal's broken, we're going to replace it for free. Cause that's just what we do. We don't want that attrition. We don't want that issue. So that's just part of our process. It, it keeps our attrition rate low, but you know, on that same note, 
when we, you know, offer it from a flexible perspective, it gives our sales partners the ability to market it that way without those restrictions. So we don't have any restrictions on who you can give free equipment to or, or when or how or why. Um, the only, you know, type of parameters we have is if you need to provide multiple replacements. So every merchant qualifies for free equipment with us. We also offer multiple terminals for larger accounts based on their volume. The bigger they are, the more we'll give them, which just makes sense. As for the types of equipment, again, we want to be as flexible as possible. Restrictions hurt deal flow. So we have all types of terminals, right? I, I don't want to bore everyone with the whole list of, of options. Right, right. The, the most but just an idea. Most common options these days that we provide and our sales partners choose what they want to offer um, would be Clover, Flex, and Point. Most of our sales partners are going with replacement options that are smart terminals, but mm -hmm. we do have plenty of other options from Deja Vu to PAX, A920s, and pin pads, everything in between. We really want to help our sales partners win the deals that are in front of them. So I, I kind of want to go back for a second and revisit um, the idea of, you know, point of sale systems and some of that. I'm just kind of curious to get your thoughts on this, Dustin, because you know, I had a really interesting conversation with an agent um, last week where he uh, he and his wife are a team and they're selling restaurants mm -hmm. and they're selling cash discounting to restaurants. And these accounts are obviously very, very profitable. I would say the average, they're probably generating 500 a month in, in margin would kind of be their average merchant account. But a lot of these merchants have Toast. Yep. And Toast is giving them the equipment for free. If you're listening to this, I'm putting that in quotation marks. <laughs> if you've ever seen uh, the pricing of Toast, you know that it's anything but free. But the, the way it's presented is, oh, sure, you need three stations for your restaurant. Absolutely. They're just giving it out like candy. Like, that's great, right? Um, and I think we're going to continue to see that because even for the, the payfacts and, and fintechs that are not doing, you know, cash discount, dual price, surcharge, the margins are still there. It, it, you know, we, we're in this very like, how do I put this? We're in this very like guarded industry, Dustin, right? Where people are like, I'm not going to break even in four months. Well, I'm not going to do that. And like the entire rest of the business world is like, I break even in 24 months. Are you kidding me? Where do <laughs> I, I sign? Right. And so we're in this really weird, like bubble of a, of a industry. And so these other payfacts and fintechs are coming to our space and saying, you're telling me I can buy an account that's going to generate me $200 a month in income. And it's only going to cost me $2,000. Great deal. Let's do it. You know? Yep. So I'm curious to hear both kind of your opinion on this trend as we move more towards point of sale and more towards even tablet point of sale, where, you know, where our cost is not two, three, 400, even the smart terminal, but it's like a thousand, 1500 per station. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that trend in general. And then also more specifically, what is, what are your plans as far as with Paybrite? Maybe you're already doing something along those lines, but I'm just kind of curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Good question. So I'm a big believer in spending money to buy business. And I know that sounds a little funky at times, but exactly what you said, if I can pay $200, or I'm sorry, $2,000 to get $200 a month in revenue, Tell me what investment opportunity there is that I can do that in. And it's collateralized by hardware, right? right? I mean, your actual risk is really low. Um, funny enough, we had an agent that paid to essentially put equipment in at his account. He made his money back, but he didn't feel like he was making enough money per month. So he came to me, he's like, can we put it in somewhere else if I want to pull it out? I said, yeah, if that's the decision you end up making, right? Because there's so many opportunities in merchant services paying for equipment is, is a smart decision, you know, on our end and on agent ends. So what we do a lot of the time for our sales partners is depending on what the equipment is, we do both agent and merchant financing. So we have a lot of agents that'll have an opportunity. It might be $5,000. The deal is going to throw off. Let's just pretend 
$500 a month. Well, we might say to them, hey, we're going to finance this for you. We'll take it out of your residuals over the next year, let's say. They're actually making a profit because it's a 10-month ROI doesn't cost them a penny, right? Because the cash flow pays for it. No interest or anything like that. And we also offer similar programs for our merchants. And that's assuming that it's not something on our standard free placement option. So we want to essentially make it as easy as possible for our agents and their merchants. I'm a big believer in providing the capital for agents and merchants without them having to put up the cash themselves. Because a lot of them may not have it or not want to spend it. I don't blame them. It's what we're here for, to help kind of give them some of that funding at times. So that's so- what we do. Yeah, so I love this, Dustin. Let's let's dig into this just a little bit more because you're this is like music to my ears because this is what I've been talking about. I actually didn't know you had this program. So yeah. um, you know, I've I've been talking about this for like a year. And I do know a few companies that that have it in some way, but it's just really poorly structured as a general rule. So I want to clarify for our audience what you're saying. So I'm an agent. I go out, I find a 10 location pizza shop. They need a new point of sale system and I'm going to sell them on dual pricing integrated with whatever point of sale system this is. And I'm going to be making $500 per location. So this is going to generate $5,000 a month in residual. And and what I'm describing for those of you that actually are selling this, you know that this is not a crazy scenario. This is like, this happens all the time. I'm about to generate a $5,000 a month residual income for myself. But each of these locations needs two registers, which seem at two point of sale registers, which seems overwhelming. So let's say the registers cost a thousand dollars a piece to make the math easy. We have 10 locations. So we need $20,000 of hardware in order to get this deal done. That is going to generate $5,000 a month. But for most agents and ISOs, they would literally walk away from that deal, which is mind blowing to me. Blows my mind too. Yes. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. So Dustin, let's use a specific example to make sure our audience understands because honestly, what you're talking about is so rare that it, which is crazy. So if I'm that agent and I come to you and I say, Dustin, I've got this deal. I need to give $20,000 of free hardware to these 10 locations so I can get 5,000 a month in residual. How would you structure that with me if I'm one of your agents? Yeah. So first, just as a full disclaimer, because I, I don't ever like to sound misleading. This is something we offer for partners we have a history with, an existing partner. And the reason for that is we all know different agents have different attrition rates and installation rates and things like that. Assuming you're an agent with us that, you know, we know installs your account, you know, you get your accounts up and running. We don't get a call from a merchant three months later saying this isn't what they expected or something like that, which unfortunately is a reality sometimes with, you know, this industry. But assuming you're an agent that brings good business, it's 100% a program we offer. And we would set that up in that manner where we pull that from your residuals over six months. The benefit is you're actually making cash flow then in month one profit. Right. It is coming out of the residuals. We would fund the $20,000 up front. There's no interest to the agent on that. And so essentially just over six months, we deduct 20,000 over six months evenly distributed. So 20,000 divided by six is gonna come out of their residual deposit, but the account throwing off 5,000, the actual negative is less than the positive and then, of course, in month six, they're getting their full, you know, residual. Right, right. We don't lower the rev share on those accounts. I know, you know, those are some things other companies will do. Oh, we'll finance it for you. But instead of it being at your normal rev share, it's going to be half. We don't do any of that. It doesn't impact rev share, doesn't impact Schedule A. We just believe, right, if we provide that capital for good deals, we're going to have a lot more deals on our hands. And not every agent is in a position to be the bank. So right. it, it opens up right. a lot of opportunities. It's something we do every single day. Um, and the bigger the spend, sometimes the more exciting, right? Sure. The ones yeah. of $40,000, $50,000 in hardware, oftentimes those are the ones that pay themselves back the fastest. 
Yeah. They just have upfront costs that are a little higher. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I think is so interesting about this conversation, you know, it, the first probably the first year I was in the business, I was just like figuring out what, which end was up. You know what I mean? The next two or three years, I had the business figured out, but I did not understand how the capital structure worked. And what I ended up doing was I would get these big deals and I'm like, oh crap, I need $50,000. Right. But I knew it was, it was awesome. I would actually bundle up a bunch of my smaller accounts and I would sell the residual yep. in order to get the capital from the processor. And finally, the, fortunately for me, I had some good mentors early on. And one of the guys that was at the processing company I was working with, you know, they, as you mentioned, I was somebody, I had a lot of residual there. I was, you know, I had a good reputation, which is very important. And he's like, I came to him like, Hey, I got this other big deal. I need like 30,000. I got to sell some residual. And he, he's like, you do realize we could just loan you that money against your residual. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know? So I think there's a lot of agents uh, listening and even ISOs that it's like, they've just never even thought to approach their upstream provider yep. that has a lot more money than they do. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes <laughs> these companies have an enormous amount of cash on hand that they, they need to put it to work. And they could go to them as an ISO and say, hey, look, we're 20, 30,000 a month in residuals and we're paying some of that out to our downline or whatever, but that could be the security. And here we have this deal. Here we have that deal. Here we have another deal. And all of a sudden they're putting 30, 40, 50, 60,000 a month to work to buy these deals that are producing a huge amount of revenue. And to your point, Dustin, what I've seen is the larger the investment, you know, kind of within reason, but these larger deals, a lot of times the break even point is actually faster. Which is crazy. Yeah. You I'll, know? Tell you you know, I'll, tr- I'll tell you a true scenario. We had an agent that had a 16 location opportunity. Um, the account cost us just shy of 3000 a location. So you can do the math, right? 16 locations, 3000 a site. We were paid back in two months. We paid the entire thing up front. The agent was happy. He's making um, over 30000 a month actually on that opportunity. A really big opportunity for him. But yeah. we were paid back in two months. This was a deal that he, he actually presented to a different processor before he knew us and couldn't get it closed, had it closed with us in under a month. Just needed the capital. Yeah. Right. And, and, and it's, isn't it a shocking thing that there somewhere out there exists a processor that turned that down yeah. two month break even point. Right. And it's like, now again, maybe they didn't have the capital. And so maybe they didn't understand again, how capital structure works and, and you know, the ability to go get that money. But my goodness, you got to go find the money, everybody. Like, hello, you know? To me, I, I don't even think it's so much that these companies don't have the capital. I think that a lot of agents are doing bus- business with processors and ISOs that just have gotten so large that they're not in a position to help anymore, right? And that's the idea that we have here. Yeah. There's no flexibility. Yeah, it's, just, it's not that they're not in a position. It's just, as James says, they don't have the flexibility. They can't think. When you get that big, it seems to me, you really can't think creatively. It's even well, 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 and it's like you're, you know, you're, you're caught. Like, who are you going to call? You know, you're calling yeah. your manager or mm-hmm. your support. You're calling a support person at, at, you know, sixteen dollars an hour, which is, you know, they're committed to their job, but they're not authorized to make a fifty thousand dollar decision. Yeah, and, and you can't get to the person who is. And and that's the whole idea here, right? Kind of going back to the the no deal left behind idea is that you know here at Paybright we want our sales partners to bring us all of these opportunities as crazy as it is i say to partners all the time look if there's money to be had we want to help you win the deal we're going to figure it out now if there's not if the account's going to go throw off 10 dollars a month in residuals and it's going to you know cost 5000 dollars i'm sorry there's just not a deal to be had here right. that's just kind of basic you know business sense there but yeah. when there's money 
for the agent and just in general on the deal, let's figure out a way to win it. The question is, how do we figure it out? Whether it's a $200 a month account or a $20,000 a month account or anything in between, Paybright wants to work with our partners on that. And we aren't so you know, stuck in just the way we do business to say, sorry, we don't have that. I've seen it. I've literally had agents come to me and the company they work with just, sorry, that's not a program we offer. Well, it doesn't have to be a program you offer to look at doing it here because it just makes sense. For us, you know, it's it's more of just what's common sense. How do we help our sales partners on these deals? And, yeah. and that's what we do every single day. So one other thing I just want to touch on real quick uh, before we're done here. Um, in a conversation you and I had recently, Dustin, we were talking a little bit about exclusivity yeah. and this idea that um, certainly there are good processors out there that their model is, is predicated on exclusivity and things of that nature. Whereas your model uh, is kind of almost the opposite of that, not that you don't want people to work with you exclusively, but talk a little bit about your approach because there's probably a lot of agents listening that are saying, well, yeah, I do have a deal like that once every month. Yeah. Right. And, but, but I'm sure I couldn't work with Dustin in that scenario. I'm, I'm, I was actually really not surprised necessarily, but because I know your model from, from before, but it just kind of impressed me again of right. like, that's cool. Like very few people are, are publicly saying what you're saying about that. So talk about your, your, you know, feelings about that. Yeah. So our model is for agents who are in merchant services already to help them win more business. Because of that, our model can't be come do business with Paybright and only Paybright because they already have other relationships. They're already comfortable. They already maybe have a portfolio there that they need to continue to grow or manage. Maybe they have minimums or quotas. I don't know. So our model is how do I take that agent who has opportunities they're losing and help them win that, build residual, another book of business in their normal course of business. I'm not trying to change what they're doing. I'm not trying to get them to go out and sell differently. I want them to keep doing what they're doing and win more business. So because of that, right, that is a, a non-exclusive approach. It, it kind of has to be by definition, by default. So we want to help our sales partners win business they're losing already. Supplemental. Now, I'll be honest, a lot of our sales partners start working with us. And although they don't have to, they, they kind of start shifting the bulk of their business to us because they realize there are a lot of benefits and other sure. arenas. But that doesn't have to be the case. So I believe truly that any agent in merchant services should be using our program in some way, shape, or form because it's going to add to their portfolio. Again, equipment's part of what we do. It's not the only thing. Right. But, you know, that's a big part. So you know, if you're an agent in merchant services and you don't have Clover Flexes that as, as an option, let alone for free, you should come work with us, right? You're going to have that option available. And I promise you there's a deal out there you're going to sign because of it, whether it's, you know, a food truck that already has, you know, Clover Flexes or, you know, a restaurant that's using them. And, and that's a, a necessary, you know, option. It's it's going to happen. We see it every day. And there's there's tons of scenarios like that. So for us, our program is designed on how do we help somebody who's already in merchant services build their business faster, go from two deals a month to four, five deals a month to 10, or from 10 to 30. That's really our focus to work with our sales partners to grow what they're doing. I love it. And so to me, I feel like, you know, the, the biggest takeaway from this conversation for me and hopefully for our audience is that if you're an ISO processor, you know, payments company, you've got to be thinking about deployment of capital um, more strategic um, because there are competitors like Paybright <laughs> that are doing this the, the right way. And, and not to mention behemoths like Toast and, and others who they're, again, we, we get so, I feel like Dustin, we get so internally focused of like, how do we make the, you know, industry better for ISOs? And it's like, no, how do we make it better for merchants? 
And I think we can get so internally focused that it's like, well, you know, my break-even point is three months. Well, mine is six, mine is four. Well, okay, that's great. But if you get one where the break-even point's nine months, you got to realize that is actually still a really good deal by anybody else's standard outside of our industry, right? right, right. Um, so I think, I think understanding that, and I think for the agent, Dustin, it's like, if you're an agent in this industry, you know, and I know so many agents, Dustin, who will walk into a business that has a point of sale system and they will turn on and walk out. You know what I'm talking about with this, right? Like, I just had a, a conversation with a sales partner of ours where, you know, I said to her, I think you need to sell or offer more smart terminals and POS than you are. She's doing all deja vu terminals, which are on a free placement. She goes, why? I just love deja vu. I said, think about this for a second. So, you know, that Clover point, so on and so forth are free placements with us, right? She said, yeah. I said, great. So when you walk into a merchant and you see a PAX or a deja vu on the counter, what do you think to yourself? She said, oh, that's an easy deal. I said, great. When you walk in and you see a smart terminal or a POS, what do you think in your head? She goes, oh, it's a challenge. I sometimes don't really try that hard. I said, I want the competitors to think that when they go into your accounts, I want them to see these smart terminals, these POS system in our merchants and walk out the door, right. put that trench around your merchant. So again, that is part of the reason why we want yeah. to offer these better options, because one of the you know benefits I haven't spoken to is, is the impact on attrition or retention. It sure. Attrition yeah. rate more competitive. Right their retention much better. So there's the, you know, downstream, the long-term effects to an agent, which we haven't even talked about, which is for agents, this may, you know, increase their, their length of an account from 24 or 30 months to 36 or 48 or 50 plus months, because they're providing better options for free. It makes it harder for the competitors. So that, you know, I'm a big believer in that. We, we need to yeah. do what we can up front to keep our accounts for as long as possible. Yeah. And so I, I think for the agents out there, you need to make sure that you have options available to get these deals done. When you yeah. walk into a merchant and you look at that and you know, the, the question shouldn't be, am I going to be able to get this deal done within the criteria that my processor has set for me? The yeah. question should be, is there a deal to be had here that's profitable? And if there is, you should be getting the deal done. Now, maybe your current processor has a program and you work with them and get it done. Great. But it's just, I, I wanted to have dust on here today, mainly because I wanted our audience to realize there are people out there that can get these deals done because frankly, I get really frustrated having these conversations with agents where I'm like beating my head against my desk. Like, oh my word, like, are you, you really, you let this deal go because you couldn't find five grand to make a thousand dollars a month. Um, it's just so frustrating. And so I want to make people understand this does exist. Find it with your current provider or find another provider, but you need to be able to get these deals done. So, um, Dustin, I definitely want to give you a chance here to share, um, you know, where everybody would go. I'm sure many in our audience are already thinking of like the three deals they left behind in the last month. Um, yeah. Where would they go to learn more about Paybright? Yeah. So, you know, you can either go to our website, you can, you know, email us, or of course you can simply, uh, you know, go to our, you know, call us, right? Call our partner support line and uh, ask for more information. If you'd like to call in, right, our, our phone system is just 984-272-2568, option three is for any prospective partner. So again, that's just 984-272-2568, option three for prospective partners. Anyone on our, you know, new agent team would be happy to speak with you. Um, you can also go to our website, which is gopaybright.com. Again, that's gopaybright.com, where you can email us. Um, you can email us at support at gopaybright.com. And anyone on that side will make sure to get your information to the right place. But there's a lot of ways to reach out to us and, and our team will be, be sure to give you any information you need. Awesome. Well, Dustin, uh, always such a pleasure. Really appreciate you sharing your insights with us today. Thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having Appreciate it. Thank you.
So Patty, we talk a lot about partnering with ISV software companies, trying to mm -hmm. make these deals happen. Right. And I really love what NMI is doing in this area. Um, you know, a lot of those in our industry don't have the context to understand how important it is to have what's called an API yes. um, that works well, that developers enjoy using. And so what's super interesting about this is it's a wide open opportunity because so many software companies have integrated with Stripe. Right, of course. Stripe doesn't share in the profits, mm -hmm. of, you know. And so these companies are interested, but what they don't want is they don't want to spend tens of thousands of dollars on developer time to have their developers integrate with a terrible technology solution. Right, of course not. You need a technology company that really works with these software companies. And that's what NMI does. So for those exactly. of you that are looking to go after that market, you need to head over to NMI.com, learn more about what they have in the way of integration. Mm -hmm. Talk to them about that. If you have a software deal, I would check with them um, because I think what they have is really interesting. And I have firsthand experience having integrated a couple of different softwares, right, right. With our developers directly with NMI, and I'm a big supporter. So. Go to NMI.com, the official sponsor of the Merchant Sales Podcast. Check it out. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you are an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. So Patty, today in Questions from the Field, I'm gonna go like way off what my normal topic would be. More of, this is more of like your kind of topic. I wanna right. talk about buy now, pay later for just a minute. Oh, excellent, excellent topic. Yeah, so I had a very interesting experience. So this is actually like yesterday. Uh -huh. um, we, long story short, I wanted to bring some of my family out uh, to Pennsylvania for a visit. And this family happens to live in California. <clears throat> and so buying these, you know, plane tickets for the family was very expensive. It was around $5,000 to make this uh, happen, big, right? Big family? Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. Well, and plus right now with fuel prices. Plus right now is, rates are high, yeah. but still, that's that's a big family, but still. It, it is. So I was like, okay. And you're um, very generous as always. Oh, thank you, Betty. So anyway, I was like, okay, cool. So I pulled it up. I bought it on Southwest. Okay. Right. I'm on the Southwest website. I'm going down to, you know, make the payment. I selected my flights <clears throat> and there was this very interesting moment I had. So I get down to the bottom of this thing and I can like, okay, I can pay with my card. And I was like, oh, stink. And what I realized was I don't, I don't have like, I have like two credit cards where I could do a $5,000 purchase. Right. And both of them had some balance on them. It was halfway, you know, we're halfway right. through the month. Right. And I have different cards, one for my secretary that does my financial stuff and whatever. Well, anyway, long story sure. short, my cards will have a little bit of a balance. And I didn't have the ability to do this one $5,000 transaction. And I'm like, okay, fine. I'm going to have to call the bank and get like an exception made. But you know? no, there's an option, wasn't there? Well, it's eight <laughs> o'clock at night. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so then I see. Buy now, pay later. That's right. There, I, I use like, Southwest oh, all the time. I know that. Yes. Yes. I was like, well, I've never, you know, done that before. And I'm like, and then I was kind of like, well, that's not the kind of thing I would do. It was like 17% interest or something. And I'm like, I'm not, oh, it's fine. I'll, I'll take care of it tomorrow. But then I thought, you know what? We're recording a podcast tomorrow. Let me see what buy now, pay later is like, you know, this mm -hmm, is fun. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I did. And I have to tell you, it was shockingly easy yes. to do this. Yes. Um, there was no hard credit check. I looked to make sure that there was no hard credit check. Right. Um, 
I didn't have to get my full social uh, oh. at the beginning. I did at the very end of the process, but to, to like, they had to check going. and see what your rate's going to be or whatever. So I went through this process and it was, I think it ended up being, uh, it was like over 11 months. It was like 500 and something dollars or whatever. Anyway. Um, and so it was, you know, I, I, I did click, click, click. And then it says, okay, now you have to click purchase. Cause that was like my payment method. And I purchased right. it. So that was it. And it was over, right. And it was over. And, there was like so many things that kind of went off in my brain when this happened, you know, I bet. one of them was, I can't believe I just did that. Like, <laughs> you know, that's not the kind of thing that I would do, but I'm like, well, okay, I'll get some good content out of that on the podcast. But at the same time, I was like, you know, the truth is I didn't want to deal with that the next day. And the flights were actually, I looked at them a couple of days well, before. They're going to change the next and, yes. yeah, and, and a lot of the cheaper flights were gone already from a few right. days before. And I was like, you know, I, I got to lock this thing in if the rates for the flights go up, I actually pay more than the interest on this BNPL. Right. And it was eight o'clock at night. I couldn't call anybody to get an exception made. And I really didn't have a way to do it. They didn't have ACH available. So a, a lot of thoughts went through my mind. One of them was, I think that for buy now, pay later, at least on large ticket, I was thinking that the Fed now instant ACH is going to be a pretty serious competitor to that. Yes, it is. Because if they had that, I would have done it. Yes. No doubt. Because yes. I have the money in my bank account, I could easily have done that but my debit card doesn't run 5,000. It's like a limit of, of well, there's a, a limit on debit 4, for obvious reasons. Yeah. So right. I was like, well, I can't do that. I couldn't do ACH. Um, I was too late at night. I couldn't call anybody to get an exception made. And so I was like, wow, this is like really annoying. It's a pain point for me. And the buy now pay later, they made a ton of money off of me. I mean, they made 17% interest over 11 months on my money. And, you know, but you can also pay it down in less than 11 months if you want. I guess. I mean, they certainly oh, didn't yeah. make it obvious to me how to do that because they don't. Right. Right. Because they're going to do an automatic debit. But right. Yeah, you can. I mean, actually, I just recently <laughs> did one myself and I said, now okay. tell me if am I going to be penalized if I, you know, pay down the balance in advance? Yep. And they yep. they've said no. <clears throat> now, a couple of things that really struck me that were super interesting about it. <clears throat> one was when I, I assumed that I was going to be putting my bank information in for these auto drafts, but I didn't. They wanted me to put in my debit card. Right. So I thought that was very interesting, actually. What I mean by that fact, is most BNPLs are done through debit cards. I mean, I just saw some research yeah. on that recently. Yes. <clears throat> I find that very interesting. I was a little surprised that, uh, at that. I don't really understand why they would do that, I guess, um, because the cost is going to be less with ACH. Um, maybe you but they, have to, they have to collect more information in order to do that. Oh, I see. It's easier. There's less it's friction. Easier. It's going to the same account, okay. less friction. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense to me. So, right. so, and that's true. That's true. <clears throat> so, okay. So less friction. So that, that makes sense. But then what was interesting about that for our industry, I think we could look at BNPL as a competitor, but right. what's ironic is if you set up the right BNPL service, it's still going to run through debit. Now, of course, the problem is it's going to be the BNPL company that's processing the transactions. But what that made me think was, who are these BNPL companies using for processing? Right. That's a question I've had in my mind for quite some time because they are all, I mean, you know, I, I've read the research. They're all posting to debit or credit cards, right? Yeah. So somebody's I would imagine, I would imagine there's somebody volume. listening right now that maybe has some inroads go after BNPL. I didn't even realize they were processing a lot of card payments, but apparently yeah. that's what they're doing and they're processing a lot. So yeah. um, that's interesting to me. Um, but yeah, ultimately my thought was, you know, I've always thought of BNPL as kind of a fringe um, temporary concept in a way of like, right. because the credit card companies haven't moved quite quickly enough in terms of the convenience of, of certain larger purchases, 
um, and increasing the credit line in a way that makes sense and all that, that it's like this BNPL is kind of a temporary stopgap measure. But experiencing it yesterday, I was kind of like, you know, this thing has some legs to it. This is it interesting. Um, you know, given the same situation, again, I, I, I did it. A big part of my rationale yesterday was about the podcast and wanting to talk about it. Right, right. About it later, I was like, you know, even without that, in retrospect, I might have still done it, actually. I mean, it it really was the most convenient thing for me to do at that time. Um, and if I would do it, uh, you know, and, and again, they made 17% on someone who, frankly, you know, without, I don't you know, get personal details, whatever, but let, let's just say I'm not a very high financial risk and they got 17% out of me. So right. all that to say, I think we should be looking at BNPL a little bit more, especially if your merchants um, are, you know, uh, having some larger ticket type transactions where they need this. Mm-hmm. Um, I was even thinking, Patty, about, you know, HVAC companies, um, plumbers, electricians, home services, where it's larger tickets. Right. Um, these kind of things could really work well. I, um, I, I have a, a screened in porch. Yeah. That it, and unfortunately, my dogs are destroying the screen. Yeah. And I came upon something recently. I was just away this weekend and at the beach and somebody had these really cool, had a screened in porch with these things that are like hybrid um, plexiglass and screen. Okay. 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 And you can move them up and down and, you know, sure. right. Yeah. I was like, wow, that's really cool. I want to put that in my porch. Right. And that was the first, when I found a company, that was the first question I asked. Do you have a buy now, pay later? Because yeah, yeah, I could kind of afford it, but I would really rather not blow all that money in one big lump sum. Sure. Um, and that, so that kind of goes with what you're saying, you know, people who are installing porches, plumbers, HVAC people, the people that do those um, generators. I live out in the country. Everybody. Yeah. We just, we just put a big generator in at our right? house. It's like $8,000. It's like, right? yeah, it's yeah. like eight, ten thousand $10,000 to put one of those things in. Right. Yeah, yeah, maybe you could pay for it, but wouldn't it be nice if you just kind of spread it out? And yeah. and I'll tell you what, the rate that I was getting, you know, that I figured out the rate that they were offering me, it was like 10%. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah that's, you know, it's it's certainly a lot lower than a credit card would cost me. Yeah. Right? Right. right. And and when I was doing it, that was my thought was the same as yours, James. There has these things are, you know, have there has to be a way that that the uh, ISO, you know, merchant services industry right. can start going after this. Well, and there is, and we've had people that we've interviewed uh, right. that do this. Um, and right. so I think ultimately it's more a matter of just, I think as, a, as an industry, we need to be thinking more about it, thinking about mm-hmm. how it fits into the larger narrative of whatever it is that you're uh, doing in the payments industry. So, and, it, yeah, and it's yeah. just, you know, just remember, it's not a fluke. It's going to be, you know, I think yeah. it has real legs. It's going to be with us for a while. Yeah. Um, I'm going to talk in a little bit about it in my, in my segment as well. Awesome. you know about some of some of the sort of repercussions all right but, good uh, well let's uh yeah let's let's stop the questions of the field and then we'll go right into the insiders go right into it. okay this is the insiders report with patty murphy brought to you by the green sheet for nearly 40 years the green sheet has been the go-to source for news analysis and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals If you're not reading the Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. So, uh, James, you know, you you talked about BMPL. You know, we've been talking about that a lot lately. Um, I um, and, and, you know, funny thing for me is, you know, you and I were from different generations and we kind of talk about that 
times, sort of like how our perceptions of things are different. Sure, sure. And I always enjoy it because it's yes. sort of, you know, a good back and forth there. Um, you know, especially because we're from very distinct generations. So I was really struck by this headline the other day that came across my, my newsfeed. Digital payments make it easier than ever for young consumers to make bad financial decisions. Mm. Yeah, sure. Okay. And it was heralding a new report from J.D. Power evaluating user experiences with di different digital services, including BNPL. Mm -hmm. um, and the bottom line was that it, these kinds of transactions make it easier for young consumers to overspend. Yeah, sure. You know, and so they, you know, in sort of the background for that is they, they for, for them, quote, younger consumers are 18 to 44 year olds. So that sort of is your generation, right? I mean, yep. you're in your early 40s, right? I'm 39, Patty. Now, don't. Oh, don't excuse me. I, I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually 38, and I'm going to be 39 on July 27th. So don't, don't. Uh, you're going okay, too far here. Okay. You know? Yeah. Well, just, just for ha ha's, I will tell you that over the weekend I turned 67. Uh, wow. Okay. But, well, but you I look great for it, right? Yeah, Thank absolutely. you. Absolutely. <laughs> I was, I was. Apparently, for that I compliment. don't look great for 38, but you look. Well, great no, no, for you definitely look great for 38. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. You know, fo folks from your age group have higher levels of satisfaction with most payment types, but they don't always understand how things work. For example, 38% said they only partially understand how BNPL works. Hmm. And 5% said they don't understand it at all. Really? Yeah. What is there to understand? You buy now. You buy you now, pay later. you pay later. <laughs> like, I think what they're not understanding uh, is the interest rates. Sure, of course, yeah, right. You know, and that's that's what I thought was really interesting. On the other hand, in my um, generation, those over 44, three out of four totally understand what they're dealing with. Right. And of course, I mean, some of that is experience, right? Yeah, I mean, we've been yeah. dealing with it. But I thought this was interesting. The analyst said, uh, the J.D. Power analyst said, uh, more consumers tend to struggle with their financial health. Um, apparently, only 41% pay off their credit card balances. 28% overdraw their checking accounts. Um, they are more likely to have multiple BNPL accounts at one time. 21% uh, versus 13% for older consumers. And this is what I thought was really interesting. Many fail to take advantage of the interest-free options. Because, huh. you know, some of these BMPL deals yeah. is if you pay it off in a month or two, there's no interest. Right. I right. mean, once that I've taken, I've, you know, I've done it as an experiment like you. Yeah, sure. And I just like, okay, I got three months. I'll pay it off in three months. You know, you could have $300 okay. a month. And just stretches my budget a little bit better. But, you know, um, I thought that was interesting. They instead... Yeah. You know, and because they're taking out multiple BNPL accounts, a lot of them are spending beyond their budgets or not paying on time. Sure. 30% um, are paying off multiple BNPL transactions at one time. 31% hmm. said they exceeded their monthly budgets paying off their BNPL transactions. Hmm. Um, and only 25% pay off the balances before um, interest kicks in. Well, and you know, what's interesting about this, I think where this resonates for me with our industry and conversations I've had is, you know, there's so many people that are trying to get into our industry right. and 
they come from a job where they have a salary and all these things. Right. And because of the mishandling of finances where they, they are basically trapped in that job. Um, you know, and I think about myself, you know, when I started my company 13 years ago, mm-hmm. um, you know, our expenses were like the rent and utilities for our right. house and like, you know, $50 yes, a week in groceries, <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, right. um, and, and that was really important because <clears throat> I left an $80,000 a year job to do this. Right. And when I left that job, you know, fortunately for me, I didn't have all of these payments. Otherwise I couldn't have left that. And I'll never forget a conversation I had with my uh, manager at that time. Um, you know, I got married and he was kind of congratulating me on my marriage and said, where are you guys staying at? And I said, I just bought a house. And, and he said, so now I have a mortgage payment. I said, yeah. And he said, well, now, you know, I, all of us work jobs. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't tell him, but my mortgage payment was like 300 bucks a month. Cause it was the smallest house ever. But uh, <laughs> I, it, it always stuck with me of like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. So right. I'm not going to get trapped. I mean, I, and right. not to say that having a W2 job is a bad thing. I'm just saying being trapped in a W2 job is a bad it's thing. A bad thing. Um, yeah. So I think that's, that's where that resonates with me, you know? Well, I, I just wanted to throw out a few more things here because I thought this was interesting. To drive home the point, okay? okay, J.D. Power used the analogy of Uber. Okay. And how Uber changed the dynamic around ride hailing. Okay. It used to be that you hired a taxi, right? Now you take an Uber. Right. So it seems as though there's no money involved. Right. There's sure. no exchange of money per se. There's no exchange of credit cards. It happens behind the scenes. And, it all, so, yeah. You know, it's all behind the scenes. It seems free until your credit card statement arrives, right? Yeah, which, which I can assure you after just spending uh, a weekend yeah. with uh, with a bunch of people in Washington, D.C. and Ubering around with two Ubers everywhere we went, I can assure you that there is a cost. <laughs> there is a big cost, right? And that's the thing. I bring this up because I think <clears throat> it may set the stage for some sort of regulation around BNPL. Sure. And, and other ways of paying digitally. Now, J.D. Power, you know that they didn't do this survey just because they felt like doing this survey. Somebody commissioned it. Right. And they didn't say who commissioned it. But I think the conclusion speaks to that. They said, quote, across the board, the research shows that younger customers, those under 45, generally have less understanding about alternative payment methods, are less likely to take advantage of rewards Less, less likely to pay off balances each month, more likely to overdraw their account balances, and tend to struggle with financial health. This phenomenon exposes a longer-term need for consumer education and financial advice accompanying the growth of these new payment options. Yeah. That tells me that, you know what I'm saying? Like somebody yeah. is trying to pull together the data that yep. they can take to the CFPB or the FTC or Congress right, to right. say, hey, we have a problem. Is, is growing. And, I, and I'm referring yeah. to BNPL as the yeah. You know? So yeah. it's just Good worth it. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com, and we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.